0: So I want to turn our focus to John chapter 8 this morning, picking back up in our series through the Gospel of John, Simply Jesus. It's been a fruitful series as we've looked through and we're moving slowly through the Gospel of John, and that title of the series is is true. We want to just see Jesus, who he is, who he said he was, what he came to do, who he is for us and how our responses ought to be to him and for him as we started our worship. That we should treasure Christ above all things. And so, if you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 8. That's where, we're, where we'll be in the middle of that. So be on the screens, John 8, picking up in verse 21 through 38. So he, Jesus, said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You and you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me, because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do not, and you do what you have heard from your father. So Jesus is here talking to the Pharisees, and I'll get into that as I as I dive into this, and he's telling them who he is and what he came to do. So I ask you to pray, just Say to God, would you just speak to my heart to remind me of who Jesus is, what he came to do, and remind ourselves of who we are and our desperate need for him and have God speak to to our hearts for, for life change. You pray, I'll pray for us collectively. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, the word that was just read. We pray as we are the people of God that sit under its authority now that we would learn Father, this isn't just a story from 2,000 years ago of a part of Jesus' ministry. It has power for us today. The same thing is true about our human hearts that it was for those Pharisees listening to Jesus teach. Father, I pray that we would know who Jesus Christ is. And Father, I pray that we would know that he came to rescue our hearts from sin and redeem us, that we might be in a right relationship with you forever. And so, Father... Help those who don't know that to know that today by your Spirit. And help us who do know that to make Jesus our highest treasure and follow him and flee from sin. May you be glorified and we praise you and we thank you. and pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. So I have two questions for you as I begin, these being the questions. And I want you to really think about your heart. And really, the way we started this service was with an attitude of kind of checking our hearts against the balance of where our relationship with is, with God is and and who we are, and so the first question is this: Where is your sin temptation in your life right now? What sin temptation is going after your heart? That could be many, but if you think about where you are right now in your heart and it gets pulled in so many directions and 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 gets tugged and and it wanders from god we 've sung about that before my heart prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Where is your heart moving away from God? What areas of your life? And the second question being this, what guards or guardrails or awareness or protection are you putting around your heart to keep that from happening? There's just a reality that we have this subtlety about us where sin comes in and it just draws our hearts away from Christ. And so we have to be aware of that. Carrie and I have been watching the Lord of the Rings movies with our older kids. Uh, our younger kids would be terrified, and arguably I have some bad dreams because of it. But they're really good movies, and they're based on the book and the series. And if you don't know the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien wrote these uh, these stories with this this symbolism of Christianity and Christ being present and the the story of good and evil. And he wrote these these movies in the late 30s, 40s, or I say wrote the books, and then the movies came out in the early 2000s. But they have to do with the power of this one ring. It's the central piece of the movie. And if you know the movie, and some of you will recite this with me as I say it, you know, it said throughout the movie, this ring, this power has one ring to rule them all one to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in darkness bind them. The whole premise is Frodo the hobbit is to deliver this ring as he found it, to destroy it because its power lures hearts in and tempts them towards pride and evil and all of these things. And so through this whole series, this band of the fellowship comes together and you got elves and hobbits and all these things. They're all symbolism of community that is trying to encourage one another to destroy this ring because they know it has power. But characters through the movie don't realize how powerful the temptation is from this ring. And moments and characters through the, the, the movie starts to tempt their hearts. And friends, this is a reminder as I was watching this, we've paused it a few times with the kids and we've stopped just to talk about what are the implications. Spiritual warfare and battle rages all around us. And, and yet Christians are generally naive to that. That Satan is after your heart to tempt you towards things, to pull you away from God. And we're generally ignorant and naive to that. Like we don't know why our heart drifts and wanders. Such is the premise of the movie. They come to this ring and they can't understand why their heart is being lured towards this ring. And Tolkien was expressing these stories about the power and temptation that evil can have over one's life. Many of us just do not put the time and watchfulness into protecting our own hearts when it comes to spiritual temptation. And so Solomon, we see in the book of Proverbs, writes all these wise wisdom things. And the smartest man, not man Jesus and part God man, but the smartest human, fully human, wrote these words in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The wisest man, that was one of the things he said, and God spoke that through the Spirit to be inspired in the Scriptures. You'd think we ought to pay attention to that. And so that's my challenge to you. How are you guarding your heart? Because everything you do, everything you desire, everything you talk about, everything you you go towards and pursue, whether it be career, power, position, relationship, it comes from your heart. And where is your heart? That's the challenge for us Today, that's your source that everything flows from. And as I read and studied this passage in John chapter 8 this week, what really gripped me was the phrase Jesus spoke in both, both verse 21 and 24. When he, and it, it kind of gripped my heart when he said, You will die in your sins. That's what he was saying to these people. You're going to die in your sins. Now, that has an implication of eternal status, but also for the believer. Anytime you or I sin, when our heart goes away from God and it goes against God, that will lead to death and separation. Now, if you know Christ, I want to make this ultra clear. If you have salvation in Christ, you can't lose that because of your sin. That's what Christ came to die for, to impute his righteousness on us. And yet there's an idea there that represents it, even in knowing Christ, when we sin, when we go towards sin, it creates death and fracture, whether it be a relationship conflict, whether it does something in our heart, damage is done there. It can certainly be redeemed and repaired, and in Christ it is, but we know that it creates death. And So Jesus is responding to the Pharisees in their disbelief, and there's much going on, and I'll frame the context in a moment, but the phrase struck me as I continue to monitor my own heart. It's always before me. Sin is crouching at my door, and Jesus is standing before these human hearts and saying, you're going to die in your sins. Eternal implication, of course, but also to people who are following him. You need to get a handle on that, where your heart is, in your in your addictions, in your attitudes, in your bitterness, in your anger, in all of those things that fracture and separate. The phrase stuck out to me as I've watched people who are following Jesus and yet being naive to the spiritual temptation, to watch them fall into things. And friends, it's subtle, and most of us know that. Most of us, as we grow spiritually, when sin comes in, we get to a place sometimes in our spiritual lives we don't know how we got there. How did I get so far from God? And Satan is creative and it's subtle, but I've watched other people who have put no guardrails up around their heart. They've wandered into things, and then I've watched some really amazing godly people fall, have moral failure because they did not protect and guard their own heart. There is something in all of our hearts as created beings in the image of Almighty God that knows That something is missing apart from a walking and abiding relationship with Christ, a walking relationship with God. That's what God created in the garden. We know that he walked with Adam and Eve, and he had this fellowship, and sin broke that. Sin affected the whole earth since the fall of man, and every human being is surrounded by the temptation of evil. And that evil has overcome the earth and gripped every human heart. But since that moment, and here's the hope, the creation in the garden, God has extended himself toward humanity with the desire to free us from that evil that grips our hearts, which is what Jesus came for. And to me, that's a simple summary of what Jesus is teaching. And so here's a simple overarching summary of what Jesus is teaching in the middle of John 8 here, is our sin causes death. That's one part. And the second part is this, but belief in Jesus can set us free from that kind of death. This is a one-time awakening when God redeems a life and when someone is born again, but also a moment-to-moment kind of freedom, as Steve prayed about earlier, that we are being freed from our sin and the power of sin by the Spirit. And these verses that we read are good news. They're a promise of good news to those who desire to be Jesus' disciples, that He and He only can bring true freedom. So if you're here today, and as we started and began in confession and repentance, and you're just feeling overwhelmed in your, your badness, your sin, and just feeling like, I just fail before God all the time. What we read is hope. Jesus can free you from all of that. He can, he can free you from the bondage of that if you don't know him, and he can sanctify you in this process that he does by his grace and spirit of making us more like him in that as well. And that's amazing news. It's why I love the imagery of the Lord of the Rings series, the Tolkien series. The power over their hearts, the lure of this ring can be conquered. There's moments in the movie where each character is like tempted towards this ring. And there's something around that fellowship and something external force that gives them the capacity to like not go towards that. That's why Frodo's character is remarkable. He's tasked with his overwhelming responsibility to journey with this ring and he's tempted towards it all the time. And something greater outside of him allows him to do that. Something that can set the heart free. And it's not just a human will. You and I know that when we have sin and temptation, often we will will ourselves over that and it just doesn't work because we're powerless without Christ. But it's an external force, which if you know the series, Gandalf, the the gray and then the white is that external force force, if you will, that Jesus prototype that sacrifices himself and comes back from the death that they thought he incurred only to infuse hope as Christ does that for us. So let's get to the the text here, the backdrop, and, and have us understand the larger framework of what Jesus is saying in John 8 as we hone into verses 31 through 38, the emphasis of how we can guard our hearts effectively in temptation and sin. Now Jesus is caught in the middle of John 8 in this identity dialogue. That's what he's talking about with the Pharisees. And so you need to know that that's important. He's establishing his identity of who he is. That's what they're debating. You see, the Jews, they were worshiping God. They, they, they were, were serving the God of Abraham, the I Am, and were awaiting deliverance from a Messiah. So that's the irony of the Pharisees. Jesus is standing right before them, and he's saying, I am from the Father. But typical of human hearts, the waiting can grow cold, and religion is starting to blind them, much like our hearts, and that's why I share this parallel. The Jews didn't really think they needed saving. And I would argue that many of you sit here today, and you probably, like I have in season, say, I'm doing pretty well. Like, I think I'm doing pretty good, I think my heart's pretty good. And I would say that is a foolish, foolish place to be in your walk. Because when we start to get that, we become a little calloused and cold-hearted. We have to be much more aware of that. You see, these Jews, these Pharisees, their pride is swelled. And their hearts have become hard. Their wisdom is really ignorance and foolishness. And Jesus is painting a picture here to them, not just of who he is, although he is making that quite clear in his identity, That these Jews, he's saying this to them, that you're actually estranged from God and their ancestry. Listen to this. As the teachers of Israel professing to know God and to be the official guardians of truth, they were in fact, and the irony could hardly be greater, strangers to the living God. They stood before Jesus in that way. They were actually strangers to God. That's what Jesus, when you read, through these accounts, this dialogue, and, and these people that have been waiting for the Messiah, they're, they're actually estranged to God. Their pridefulness has kept them separated from God in their sin. And Jesus says, you're going to die in your sin. And many of us as believers come to church every Sunday, and we're, we're trying to be faithful in some things, and we say, I'm doing pretty good. And over time, if you don't guard your heart, and over time, if you succumb to little temptations and your heart sways a little bit away from the treasure of Christ, and it just moves away, you say, "I, you know what, I'm, yeah, that's a part of my life, but I'm doing pretty good. And then before long, as I've met with these guys, these leaders, pastors, encountered different people who have fallen away, most all of them say, I, I just never thought it would happen to me, I never expected that i get to this spot. And that's what Satan does in a human heart. He, he grinds away callousing, hardening the heart until you become estranged to God. But here Jesus stands before them as he does with us today with the possibility of knowing God truly in Christ if they would simply believe and trust in him alone. And that's true of us. Maybe you're thinking, To yourself right now, again, that you're in a good spot with relationship with God, and maybe you don't really know him, truly know him in the saving way. Here today, there's good news for you. You can know him if you simply trust in Christ. Jesus makes that quite clear in verse 21, that he will be going away. That's what he says there. I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. He says that knowing he's going to the cross He's going to be buried, he's going to be raised again, and go to the Father, and he will come back to judge the earth. And when he says that, you're going to seek me because you're going to know. He says that later in the text. When you put me on the cross, you're going to know you killed the Son of God. And for many of us who sit in church week after week, and we hear the gospel, have you done anything about your sin? Have you repented and turned to Christ? And Jesus is saying, you're going to seek me at the end of time when Jesus comes back, and it will be too late that's what he's saying. You're going to die in your sin, separated eternally, forever. And he cannot make that more clear. Sin separates fellowship with God and, God, and, and always causes death. And Jesus reminds him in verse 23 that they're sinful. They're not of the world. Or, they, or he's not of the world, that they are of the world. He's that identity thing. They belong to fallen humanity, as we do, separated from God, stained with sin. And Jesus is the answer because he is not born of this world. He's divine. He's sent from God. He is establishing his identity like I am from above. You are from below. In verse 24, he makes that quite clear that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He's separating himself from who we are in our sin and yet offers hope. He establishes himself as divine and he offers hope this hope to completely sinful human hearts and says, you're going to die there unless you believe in me. Now, what Jesus is doing here in this language is profound. He is using the I am identifier to the Jews. They associated that language only with God, the same language and identifier that God spoke to Moses with. If you go back to Exodus 3.14, when he told people, he said, go and tell them say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. He used that language, I am the almighty God. And Jesus comes along and says, I am who I am, essentially. I am he, associating self, himself with God the Father the same God that they would have understood. Jesus was always super clear with who he was speaking to. He knew they worshiped the God of Abraham. They knew they believed and trusted the same God who spoke to Moses. And so he equates himself, which why they were so enraged. He's calling himself God. And yet they were strangers to God because of their callousness in heart. Jesus essentially says the same rules that God has laid out from the beginning of time, ever since the beginning of man, Trust me, the I am, alone, and you will live. Give me your heart fully, and I will bless you. Worship me alone, and you will have life. Do your own thing, and it will always bring death. That's the nature of the law in the Old Testament, God wanting them to serve and worship, them failing it, and Christ comes along to fulfill that and say, you will always fail because of your sin, but if you treasure me, if you give your life to me, if you believe in me, you can be overcomers. You can, you can be in a right relationship with God again. And Jesus continues to defend himself, even tells him when they put them when they put him to death on the cross because of their spiritual blindness, then they will know, verse 28. But as I said, it will be too late. And friends, he has come with one purpose. He makes that clear in verse 29. But I want you to see this as he says this. And he who sent me, the Father is with me. He has not left me alone Here's the part I want you to see. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. This is what really separated Jesus from us. Jesus is perfectly obedient, perfectly righteous, always doing what the Father wants. How many of us could say that in this room? None of us. You and I struggle in sin. And here's the difference of Jesus and our hearts. Jesus says this, I always do What pleases the Father? Why is that important? Because we trust in Christ's perfect righteousness that he imputes to people who believe, that he covers. When God looks at us in our sin, when we place faith in Christ, he sees his son's perfect obedience. That is remarkable. That's grace. That's that transferring of righteousness in the Old Testament, that righteousness, that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness in Christ. Christ's righteousness is covered over us, imputed to us when God looks at you. That's why we should come in here with this like observance of grace and joy. Like when he looks at my heart, which wanders from God all the time, and yet he has redeemed me and saved me. He looks at Christ's perfect obedience for me so that I can have a relationship with him again. That's what Christ does. It wasn't just his death. It was his perfect life of pleasing the Father all the time and imparting that righteousness to us. Verse 30 tells us after Jesus said this that many believed in him as he spoke. And that's when Jesus infuses this hope for believers in the battle. Now there's a A mild discrepancy here when it says disciples of Jesus in the Gospels, it doesn't always mean necessarily those who are saved or being saved. As some disciples walked away, they were following him. And even in that, many believed, but you'll see in a moment, they challenge this idea as many of us do. Many that profess Christ, but aren't really living out a life of following Christ. But Jesus infuses hope to those who truly believe, that he wants to set them free truly from their sin. And to be clear again, this has implication for those who do not know Christ in their saving, but also, and probably more direct for my focus today, implication for us who believe in our sanctification, that our continued growth of our hearts being changed and transformed into Christ. And this is where I want to just dive into practicality here and this need for you and I to protect our hearts from temptation and the power of sin and that only Jesus And the truth of Jesus can protect us. So everything I've said up into this point was just an introduction. Yeah? That's where the people in the seats go, no kidding. (laughs) Nobody came and asked me. I told you once how many pages I had and how long you, you could tell the sermon. Nobody has come and asked me, Pastor, how many pages do you have there? So I gave you the option. Nobody's asked. You and I, It has to start. If you are struggling in your sin, which I guarantee you are, because it's always, always on us, always around us. When Jesus walked on earth, even temptation came to him, and he defeated that. But when it's around you and I, and I'll ask people, like, how are you doing? Where are you struggling? And usually when people say, oh, I don't, I'm doing good. Like, I don't really have any sin struggle. We ask this question of us, ourselves, as elders when we meet together, we say, where where is sin after your heart? And if we ever heard one of the other elders say, ah, I don't don't think, oh, we're good. we'd, We'd probably like, yeah, okay, there's some more. That's just not an acceptable answer for the Christian. And yet so many of us cover ourselves in that way, like I'm doing pretty good. But sin is always crouching at our door. And here's where you have to start with the understanding, fundamental gospel truth. We do not, listen to this, friends, we do not become sinners because we commit sins. We commit sins because we are sinners. I'm going to say that again, and I know it sounds super easy to understand, but this is for you today. If you're just like one of those people that says, I'm doing pretty good with God, listen to this. We do not become sinners because we commit sins. We commit sins because we are sinners. That is crucial that you understand it, because it's not what the world teaches. The world teaches that you are born with a generally good heart, and that evil comes and affects that heart, which is just wrong. It's upside down, which is why even as we raise our kids, and we've always used this example, if you have little kids, do you have to tell them, like teach them, you know, as you're teaching them to go to the bathroom and teaching them how to eat at a table? Do you have to teach them? And here's how I want you to rebel. Here's how I want you to say no. Do you have to teach them that? No, which is why when we raise and educate our kids, it's so difficult as, as we put parental protection around our kid in all these ways because, and this is the world's model, we have to like helicopter over our kids and do what's best for them. And we even, this creeps into the church, and we put all these external things around them. And how can you truly protect your kid? From what's inside their heart. Does that make sense? That's why it's so difficult, because you and I cannot protect these little ones from what's already in their heart, which is sin. Stained with sin. That's why we wanted to come and, and do this as we move forward. Pray for these kids. They grow up, and they could grow up in the perfect church environment. Kind of, like no church is perfect, but they could, we could do everything like as best as we could do and raise these kids and and protect them and we could grow up in the perfect home setting and yet what is in them is sin. Their hearts, natural rebellion, fallen hearts in opposition towards a holy God and we simply cannot protect them from what's inside of them. We can only teach them the gospel and have them know that gospel truth as we ourselves need to know that we do not become sinners. We are sinners in desperate need of salvation. And so Jesus aims at our hearts with the desire to set us free from the power of that and the capacity to do so. And he says in verse 31, if you abide, and he says, if there's hope, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's like this devastating bad news of the gospel. You are sin. Evil is in your hearts. And Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you'll be my disciples, you will know truth, and the truth will set you free. Three things there, you are my disciples. There is a distinguishing mark. Jesus is calling people out, if you truly follow me, here's who you are. The second thing, you will know the truth. In a world full of falsehood and lies, you can know the truth. The third thing being that truth will make you free. This is the language that separates people who are really free from those who appear to be a Christian. And even as I read that verse and I studied it though, but I said, how many times do we see that? Yeah, the truth will set you free, but what is truth? What is Jesus saying there? Here it does not simply represent a philosophical idea or an opposition, if you will, to falsehood. And here's what I need you to know. Truth here, as Jesus spoke it, is the knowledge of God revealed in Christ himself. Knowing Christ is knowing God. And so it's not just Things that are opposed to falsehood, like you just need to know truth. Christ is saying something here. He's saying, I am truth. When you know me and walk with me and abide in my words and understand my perfect life, my death, my resurrection, all of that stuff, you know truth. The only thing you need to know in this world and anything against that is falsehood. Knowing Christ is knowing God. That's why in verse 36, you'll notice he swaps out truth that word for son. If the son sets you free, if truth, he says truth, son, synonymous with himself, sets you free, you are free indeed. That's what he, he called himself, the son, he called himself the truth, he called himself the word, all of those synonymous. He says the word made flesh. So we know that's synonymous with Christ himself. If you walk with God and obey his commands and guard your heart and abide If you live connected to the vine, only then can you be knowing truth, the truth that will guard your heart from falsehood. When you know truth, it always exposes the lies of your heart. So if you sat here today and you you answered that second question, I don't know if I have guardrails set up around my heart. Whenever you read the Word of God, it always, with a heart that wants to be changed, it's a caveat, it always exposes the lies. temptation. That's why David prayed that way. Create in me a clean heart. Show me any sin that's in with me. When you go to God in that way, it will always expose things, blind spots. Maybe your heart has been full of greed, and you just, you don't recognize it. When you go to the Word of God, God, by His Spirit and grace, reveals that. Maybe you've been an angry, bitter person. When you go to God and say, God, would you free me from that by your truth? God reveals, yes, you have this bitter root in your heart. Maybe it's over this relationship or this person or that, and he wants to pluck it out. That's what it does. It exposes lies and falsehood. Maybe you think a certain way about politics or government or economics or whatever it is, and when you go to God as a sovereign Lord and say, God, are you in charge of all this? He exposes all the falsehoods of the world in our culture of of. of sexuality, identity being just like stained and, and misconstrued. People in our world, even Christians say, well, I don't think like that's a big deal. When you go to the word of God, it always exposes lies and falsehoods about all of that. And it reveals sin and it's a freedom that we so desperately need. But you and I can be so naive that we walk apart from Christ's word As I give Bibles out to people, I will often write, and I've said this before, I'll often write in the margin, sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. Why? Because I know that this book keeps our hearts from sin, and sin will keep our hearts from the priority and treasure of the Word of God, and we'll grow cold and we'll become tempted. And friends, I need you to know the power of sin in temptation this morning, just like the ring's power in the Lord of the Rings. So sin is like a roaring lion circling around you, waiting to devour you. At least that's the language of 1 Peter 5:8. In fact, I need you to know these truths today. And I wish I had more time to just dive into these characters, Old Testament characters. But I need you to know these three truths about sin today. Number one, and this is seen most clearly in the life of Samson, the strongest man probably to ever live. Sin is stronger than you. So don't be foolish about that. Most of the pastors that I've talked to that have had moral failure, they said, well, I, was, I could conquer this. I could just overcome this temptation. Sin is stronger than you, so don't be foolish. Sin has power, more power than you. The second thing is sin is smarter than you. Solomon, the wisest man, fell to this. Sin is smarter in the way that Satan attacks your heart. It's smarter. I always say this to people. You've heard me say this too. Satan... Our enemy is not creative. He's just super smart and simple. He uses the same thing in your heart over and over and over. And you know what that is. You know where he gets you the most. If it's, if it's like approval from people or greed or lust or anger, you know he just goes at you the same time. He doesn't ever, like, I wonder if I could try, like, something different in Craig. Because, you know, like, I already know. D- no. In Craig's heart, he goes after the same thing every time, and I know it, and it's ugly all the time. It's smarter than me. And the last one, this, sin can woo you. It can steal your heart. David learned this. When kings went off to war, and he saw Bathsheba, and he thought he was in a good spot, like, I'm in a good spot. He wasn't in a good spot because he should have been off to battle. He was in a different spot, a lazy spot, a complacent spot, and sin came and wooed his heart, and it pulled his affections away from Christ, his Lord, and towards this woman, and he paid for that dearly. So don't be ignorant to your sin. It's stronger than you. It's smarter than you. It can woo you, but thanks be to God that Jesus is stronger, wiser, and his love can triumph over our hearts. That's the, the good news and here's the real practical thing about our journey together, helping to direct our hearts towards this first question I asked, to guard our hearts. I want to just give you, as, I, as I'm wrapping this up, four truths about temptation that hopefully we can learn from this text and send us out. The first one being this. Victory over your temptation. If you're sitting here today and you say, man, I want to know this Christ, this power. I want to lean into this Jesus who will free me who will set me free from the temptation I have. I'll tell you this, victory that you desire over temptation becomes really difficult when sin becomes precious. When you treasure something over Christ, and maybe you're sitting here and saying, I just don't know if I could give that up to Jesus. When you hold that treasure so tightly, it becomes very difficult to have victory over your sin. When your heart is so embittered, in a relationship, when you have unforgiveness towards a, like a, a mother, father, brother, sister, whoever that is, when you're so bitter that you will not give that up, it becomes very difficult. Christ can do these things, but victory over temptation becomes difficult when you've set the mark and the stake that this sin is more precious to me. You see this illustrated in this movie, in this movie series in these characters so much. They set pride and power which is why when the ring comes, you're so tempted, I could have that. That's the thing I want. Maybe it's your career. Maybe you sit here and I've just been about acquiring money. If if that's your goal in life, it's going to be very hard to have victory over that when something starts to rule your heart and put it in bondage when you give your life to something and elevate it above Christ. The second thing is this, and this is the saddest part of this, this whole power of sin and temptation, Temptation promises what you crave the most, but it takes what you can't afford. It, it promises you what you want, but you and I both know when we put our hand towards sin, when we, when we lash out at somebody because we don't want to forgive them and when anger overcomes us, do you know how we feel? Like that wasn't actually as satisfying. When we let somebody have it because they've just burned us their whole life, and when we unload on them and we think that'll make us feel better, We leave in shame and this vicious cycle. When we pursue that ultimate thing, that relationship or that wealth or, or whatever that is or that success and you get it, man, that's just like not as good as it was supposed to be. Temptation promises what you most crave, but it takes what you can't afford because the damage is then done to your heart. Something that Christ will and can overcome in But the damage is done. The third thing is this temptation warns you. Temptation is actually a good thing. Temptation warns you that evil is nearby, it makes you aware. We are tempted in every way. We'll hear from this at the end of the service. Christ was tempted in every way, but he always gives us a way out temptation warns us that there is evil after our hearts it's not a bad thing like pain is not a bad thing pain gives us guardrails automatically hot stove don't touch that when you know that hurts you don't touch that god wired us a certain way temptation comes in he says evil is close lean into me it's crouching at your door that's why you and i must be so careful walking close to jesus That's when Jesus went to the garden and he prayed for his cup to be removed if there was any other way. And he came back and he'd asked the disciples to pray. He was so irritated. He was like, why don't you pray? You need to be in prayer. And yet they were sleeping. He says the flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak. He knows that about us. And fourthly, the closer you get to evil, the stronger temptation becomes. Many of us know that, and that's the slow fade that destroys many. Many that thought I'm smarter, I'm wiser, I can conquer my sin, I don't have an issue, I'm good. The closer you get to that, wrapped tightly around your addiction, your idol, the stronger that temptation becomes, the more you desire. This is the warning shot I'm firing across the bow of my heart, your heart right now. What is it that has your heart other than Christ in your life? This is my... I'm saying it's a warning shot because I have to do it myself. What are your affections drawn towards? What is your idol in your heart that is not Christ? What do you need to be freed from and walk away from? What are you drowning in? What are you flirting with? And this isn't to add shame on. This is just for you to be self-aware. And here was the problem with the Jews in verse 33. If you notice that, They didn't think they needed to be freed. They were offended by the notion. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham. And we have never been, look at that language. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? That was the attitude. And 2,000 years, it still is present for us today. Our attitude sometimes is we don't need to be freed. Like I'm here at church, for crying out loud. Stop barking at me. Like we don't need... That was the attitude and present in them and it's present in us. They were convinced that they had freedom because of their ancestry. Many in this culture America are convinced that you're fine because you're in a Christian culture. They didn't need Jesus. You and I, what do we need Jesus for? We do, we come to church, we do good works. We're mostly good. People know we're mostly good. We're good neighbors. We don't need Jesus when you say that, when you have that attitude, I think Satan just smiles. He says, you're right where I want you. That's the attitude of a hard heart, a heart with no guardrails. And Jesus spoke clear as day when he said, if that be you, you will die in that sin. Again, I want to make this clear. Not that you can lose your salvation, but your heart will get damaged in that. Just know that. And if you don't know Christ, he is saying you could die apart from him. That has implication for the unbeliever who doesn't trust Christ at all in salvation, but certainly implication for those of us who trust Christ. We must know that sin will always cause death. That's why it's so crucial that you guard your heart. So as I close, I just ask this, what temptation are you being lured by? What has its grip on your heart? Don't be unwise in this. And what are you doing about it? Jesus said this very simply. Just believe. Believe. It was so simple as that. He says, I'm the great I am. Here's where I came. Here's what I came for to save you from that sin, to unravel that about you, to free you from that bondage. And he says, do you trust me more than you trust those other things? He can only bring freedom. He desires to give it to you. You must desire to know him in that truth if you commit your life to him. And he says, abide in me, my word. It's why we encourage memorizing scripture. John Piper calls them fighter verses when you memorize scripture. Why fighter verses? Because he, you're prepared for a spiritual battle when lies and sin comes at you. You could say, "No, like that is not who God says He is." Friends, here's our hope, and we were called to worship by God's word in Psalm 73. My heart and flesh may fail, but God is my strength and portion forever. Here's our hope that we would take heed. These words in First Corinthians 10, therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that it is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation he will always provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Our sinful weakness need not lead us into despair. Instead, it could lead us into the hope of one who is greater in Jesus. Jesus bound the strong man to set us free. Jesus outsmarted the tempter by clinging to the wisdom of scripture. Jesus rejected self-exaltation by drinking the cup of humiliation. Jesus was tempted as we are, and yet he endured without sin. His life was righteous and his death satisfied his father's just requirements. His resurrection gives us liberation, and his intercession grants us help in our weakness. Friends, wherever you are, I implore you to take heed, to check your heart, to guard it, and to know this, that Jesus is stronger, that Jesus is wiser, that he's more devoted over his love for you in that, that he will help you overcome. And in that help, we will find the temptation could be resisted. It could be overcome. But friends, you have to trust in Christ. So as you leave here today, I want you to be challenged by that. Where does sin have my heart and how can I lean towards Christ, the helper, the overcomer? He will free you. If you don't know Christ today, he could free you from a Christless eternity separated from death. If you do know Christ today, don't be foolish. Exalt Jesus. Treasure him above all else. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. that we have hope even in our sin. Father, help us to not be like these people Jesus spoke to that day. Help us to not become people that are naive, that think we're doing okay. Father, help us to not become people that think we're not enslaved by anything. Father, even as I speak today, even as I prepared today, I thought about the ways my own heart is being tempted and challenged. Father, it's being drawn towards things that aren't pleasing towards you, to you. Father, it made me very aware that I need to guard it. Father, even as people sit here today, maybe they're confronted with something they know they've been struggling in. Father, that they need to confess and repent of. Father, many of us struggling in those same things, and I pray today that we would trust Christ in his power. That we would trust him in his perfect righteousness and obedience. And Father, that we would cling to him. And Father, be devoted to prayer and be devoted to his word. Father, Christ told us there, if we would just abide in his word and walk in trust and trust in truth, we would know that that would set us free. Help us to be people who pour ourselves into the Bible. Father, for the sake of knowing you greater in greater ways, And Father, that we would praise you, that we would worship you, that we would not give our affections towards anything else. May all glory be to Christ as we sing that. May we just praise Jesus for what he came to do in his death and what he gave us in his resurrection, freedom. Freedom from sin. Father, help us be a church that longs to treasure christ we pray in the powerful overcoming chain-breaking name of jesus we pray and all god's people said learn a little bit i want to leave you with um, a benediction today from hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16. since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive grace, receive mercy and find grace to help. In time of need. So go in peace. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful week.